Hello, and welcome to Eyes on Success, a weekly program of information on the ever-changing world of accessibility. Now here are the hosts of this program, Nancy Goodman Torpy and Peter Torpy. Hello, I'm Nancy. And I'm Pete. Have you ever thought about buying your own house to live in or as an investment? And how about if you're blind? That seems like it might be an impossible task. Well, if you think so, think again. We'll speak with Anna Garza, better known as Access Anna, who has been blind since birth, about her recent experiences buying a rental property and how she's made it work for her. But first for our tip of the week. This week's tip is, especially if you're embarking on a project about which you don't have all that much confidence, make sure you have a backup plan that you can always fall back on if the first way you try things doesn't work out. And Anna will be talking a little bit about how she used that philosophy in buying her house. But as Nancy says, it's important for almost anything. Sometimes your plans just don't work out and you want to know what you can do instead. Let's start by meeting Anna and learning about some of her other interests besides home ownership. Anna, you've been on our show many times before talking about knitting and how you use Android devices and some hints for using Android devices. But today we're going to talk about something different, which we'll get into later. But maybe you can tell listeners a little bit about yourself who may not have heard you before. Yes, my name is Anna. And aside from knitting and um, enjoying Android, I'm an English lecturer and I'm a court interpreter. Oh, and you're living in Central California, right? Yes, I am. You're totally blind, correct? Yes, I am. Which is particularly relevant to what we'll be talking about in a little bit. And what other kind of hobbies do you have besides knitting and your work that you do? Well, I like to write, and I actually do some writing. And I guess we may have seen some of your work some places. Can you tell people where they might have seen that? Well, most listeners know my work from the National Braille Press. I have two Android books and one forthcoming later in the year. And what's that called? The first book is Getting Started with Android, and it's about learning to use Android with TalkBack. It's onboard screen readers. There's a second book, which is sort of more of a reference card. It's uh, commands and settings that would be particularly relevant to people who are blind and low vision. And future books will focus on how to use specific apps. Can you tell our listeners where they can find your knitting and Android blogs? Well, my knitting blog is called Fingering Yarn at WordPress.com. My Android blog is right now um, in hiatus, but I'm thinking of uh, revising it. If you are interested, it's at accessibleandroid.wordpress.com. Great. You are listening to Eyes on Success. Success, 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 success. This week's focus topic is Anna's experiences purchasing a house to rent out. 
So today we want to talk about something a little bit different. And you contacted us after hearing our show about moving ourselves cross-country from New York State to Colorado. And you said that as a blind person, you just bought a house yourself. Can you tell us a little bit about how that got started? I sure did. And it was quite an adventure. Um, I'd been thinking about retirement and I realized that the retirement I had was going to be okay, but I'd have to do a lot of budgeting. And so when I was growing up, my parents always had a rental property and it was really helpful because they did seasonal work and having the rent come in during off seasons really helped the family out a lot. And so I thought maybe I would buy a rental property to supplement my skimpy retirement. How did you find the right house to buy? When I started, I started in a very low-key kind of way. There um, seems to be some sort of movement or activity right now where um, a lot of houses, especially older homes, are on sale. And so there were three properties on my block that were on sale in the last six months. And I decided I was going to try to buy one of them because um, that way the house would be close and I know what the neighborhood is like and I could walk down there and talk to my tenants and blah, blah, blah. Oh, that's quite an advantage being close to the place that you're renting. When I was in Rochester at the age of 30, I had a very similar experience um, being blind and my rental property was very close. I actually bought a duplex. I lived on the upstairs and rented the downstairs. Oh, wow. Well, oh, I think we're on the same wavelength. So what happened was my my dream of, you know, buying a house on my block did not work out for, you know, many reasons. But the property I eventually bought is a duplex. And I think part of the reason I like it is that I can imagine living on one side of it and, and you know, hanging with my tenant on the other side. <laughs> that could work out pretty well if you have some friendly tenants. Well, you do get to pick your tenants, but sometimes there are surprises. Well, yes. (laughs) But you do have some influence over which tenants you pick. Yes, yes. And so I I do have interesting tenants. So we, we will get to that chapter in the saga soon. I had been thinking about buying this uh, property, but I was really nervous about it. And one of the things I was nervous about is that my employment is, is not official. I mean, I'm, I'm a court interpreter, but I'm freelance. So I, you know, I have really busy months and I have slower months. And I'm a lecturer, but I'm usually hired on a semester or annual basis. That probably makes it interesting applying for a loan. Yes. And so that was one, one big scary part. And another big scary part is the literal application process, you know, the filling out of papers and photocopying of stuff. You don't want to get that wrong. (laughs) Totally, totally. And so, you know, I've had this plan for about five years, but I hadn't acted on it until about a year ago when a friend of mine, another lecturer, decided she was going to buy her house. So it was nice uh, to go through that process with her. You know, she's not married. She's single and I'm single as well. And so she would tell me about the things she would do. So most people, when they go look for a home, they go with their spouses. And, you know, when you're single, you don't have that other person to help you think things through. So she would tend to go with her mom or with her brother 
And, and, and she was hilarious because she's like, I'm 50 years old and there I am with mommy. But, you know, mommy is a wise woman and she's helping me think this through. <laughs> and so that was reassuring because I know as a blind person, sometimes I know I, I think a little too much about, you know, whether I'm seen as being dependent. And, you know, I thought, well, if I go to house shopping with my mommy, you know, will people think it's because I, I need my mommy or just because I like hanging with my mommy, you know? And so it was nice to know that, other people do this too, and maybe I, I shouldn't be quite so uptight as a blind person. I should just relax and do what I need to do. You know, I would guess you get more objective opinions from a friend rather than from a relative, especially a mother. When I went house shopping for my first house, the duplex that I bought, I had a very close friend at Xerox who I used to commute back and forth with and work with, and he was very handy, as a matter of fact, too. So he, he was a good judge of houses, their condition, and you know, could point out various pitfalls, what was good, what was bad. Yeah, the interesting thing about Joel was that he was colorblind. But it certainly helps having someone else go with you. Well, and you know, it's it's also interesting because once I finally started shopping, my mom did go with me, you know, because she managed her own rental property. She's got a good eye for things. So she gave me useful, uh, good descriptions plus useful landlord type information like, wow, you're going to need to repair that sink, you know, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um But I also had friends who, you know, this is the modern age, they would do the Google Maps thing or they would do drive-bys, you know, to scope it out for me. And everybody told me something different. And so it was interesting to collect information. Um, My dad noticed that the roof sagged. That was the only thing he noticed. And a friend of mine noticed that the fence on the south side really needed to be replaced. So everybody noticed something a little different. And that could be overwhelming because people tend to tell you the stuff they don't like or that they think is a drawback. So um, I had to be really careful about asking other things to find good things about this property and to figure out whether overall this is something I wanted to spend money in, uh, on buying and money on repairing. So with all that conflicting advice, how did you make a decision? So my friend bought her house a year before, and she was really pleased with her real estate agent. Now, one thing I I learned through this process is that it really does uh, help to choose people who are good at what they do. And so one way to do this is to find out who your friends um, have called on for assistance. And so my friend was really pleased with her real estate agent And she was really specific about why she liked him. She said that he was a go-getter, he was a problem solver, he was really clear and really quick about responding. So she gave me a lot of very specific things that she liked about him and then helped me think that those qualities were things that I would probably want in a real estate agent. Mm -hmm. So when the three houses on my block didn't work out, I called him and I told him that I was interested in a property And I told him about how much money I had saved for a down payment and what I thought I would be willing to pay for a property. And he would do weekly check-ins. He would call me each week and say, well, I've got these properties. How about them? And he would send me these things by email. And I would click on the link. And, and, you know, the link was a picture of the property. But when I clicked on the link, I would get a description. 
And so I was really pleased with that, that this was actually accessible. It was something I could work. If the stats were interesting to me, then I would um, send it to my friends and to my mom, you know, my real estate network. You know, and, they, um, and I would say, well, this one sounds good. What do you think? And, and they would say, no, too much work or blah, blah, you know. Got it. Yeah. Those descriptions that the realtors put for each property are kind of interesting. They tend to make every aspect of the property a positive thing. I remember seeing one not long ago where the house was really a dump. And the description said, and you're getting this house at a lower price so that you can do all of the cosmetic updates that are required and still stay within your budget. And I'm like... You know, that really means this house is a wreck, but they made it sound so positive. Well, you know, and that's the thing. It was lines like that that I became very attuned to. Like the property I bought, it said it has a newer roof, but, you know, you can always rework it, which means it's got a cosmetic piece of crap layer on the roof and it's just <laughs> not good, you know? <laughs> and so so it was lines like that that were useful and that I learned to pay attention to. You learned to read between the lines and to interpret what you're reading. Oh, completely. My, my English major analytical skills right there. <laughs> totally right there. And so one Sunday I was sitting at home and, and the realtor called me and he said, you know, this property just came on the market and I think it's within your price point And I think it's a great investment because it's a duplex. So the next day, my mom and I uh, went by the property. Uh, we, we drove by and then we walked around and it, it was a duplex. One of the units was empty and the other was occupied. The tenant in the occupied unit, she came out and said hello. And what was funny is that later she um, told me that she didn't know I was interested in buying the house. She thought I was interested in renting the unit next door. And she thought that I would be a great thing for her because she had like a home daycare and she would be able to take care of me for a fee. So she was extra friendly, which was kind of hilarious later on. I'm <laughs> thinking I'd be, you know, a job prospect. <laughs> right. When you were just the opposite, you were actually probably wanting money from her. Exactly. So I liked the property and that, that property actually spoke to me. And I, it had been very neglected, but the bones were good. I mean, um, the fence needed work, the roof sags, blah, 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 blah. As long as the foundation and the structure of the house is in good shape, there's a lot that's just cosmetic that can be fixed relatively easily. You know, if you don't like the color of paint, that's easy. That takes, you know, a $50 can of paint or something. Or even rugs are easy to change. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, when, when my mom was going through it, she was like, well, you know, you need new floors, but my dad is handy, and so he could help with that. And so, you know, I could have the new floors for maybe $1,500 and, you know, and making my dad happy with pizza. So that, I could do that. <laughs> yeah. Right. And compared to the cost of a house, $1,500 extra isn't so much. Exactly. And and so, you know, it, it was a big decision because it did need a lot of TLC, but the bones were good and the basic structure was good. So a lot of things could be done over time. They didn't have to be done right away. 
So one of the things I was nervous about buying my first house was, of course, doing some of the ongoing maintenance and repairs. And as I said, the friend that helped pick me out, he was very handy, and he offered to do some of that. And I actually had a carriage house in the back of the house where I gave him some garage space in return for helping me with some of these chores. But I would guess that's a consideration, especially for a visually impaired person, about ongoing repairs and maintenance. Yes, it was. And it was one of the things that held me back. But yes, having uh, to worry about the ongoing maintenance is important. And so before I started out, I knew from friends of mine that a lot of people who own properties for rent use property managers. And so property managers usually around here charge about 10% of the rent. And they collect the rent, they make sure that things are getting done, um, they arrange for minor repairs. Sometimes for a slightly higher fee, they'll help you find a tenant. And so I figured that I was going to try to manage the property on my own, but um, if I couldn't do that, then I would get a property manager. So you had a fallback position. I totally did. And, And having that fallback was a really good thing because I knew that, you know, if it didn't work out, this wasn't a a lost cause. It it could still work out. (laughs) So we actually went through several phases of who did what on this rental property. As Pete mentioned, he bought it when he was single with some input from Joel. And Joel was a huge help with all of the fix-it work in this rental property. And then Pete and I got married and Joel got lucky. So he was off the hook because then I was available to do all the fix-it work. And of course, my skills weren't so sophisticated at that time, and it was a lot of learning by doing, but Joel was still available as an advisor. And then later, when we had kids, we didn't have the time for it anymore, frankly. And so we hired a property manager, and you know, it's okay to switch how you're doing it. Oh, absolutely. And you know, when I started out, And when I first bought the property, my dad used to do a lot of construction type work. So he kept telling me, oh, yeah, I'll do this and I'll do that and I'll do the other. But my dad's close to 80, so he ran out of steam. And so he did help me with certain things. And he said he would and he he committed to them and he did them. But I knew I had to have a backup plan for that as well. So I thought, well, I have the option of a property manager. They always have lists of numbers. Um, and I have my dad who could help me in a pinch and with, you know, things that need to be done now. But I knew I needed to have someone else. And so, again, my friend who bought her house a year ago, she had a great handyman. And so um, before I, I actually went ahead and, and made an offer on my property, I knew um, I would be calling on him. So before I, I took the step, I needed to make sure I had somebody there. And he's actually turned out to be really great. He's helped me with a lot. And he's also been good about giving me information. If something's beyond him, he'll say, I can't do this, but I have a buddy, or um, I'll see if I know somebody. And, and it's it's been good. So you mentioned all of the paperwork that's involved in actually purchasing a house. How did you deal with that? When you're working with a real estate agent, you have to fill out a lot of paperwork that says you're aware of this and that and the other and blah, blah, blah. You know, it's this big binder full of paperwork. There's a ton of things to sign and a lot of small print. Totally. And so that was one of my fear points before this process. But what I learned from my friend going through it is that a lot of that is done online and electronically now. 
So the real estate agent, he sent me a lot of PDFs. Whenever I needed to sign anything, he would send me the PDF and he would give me the option of printing it out and signing it and, you know, scanning as an image and returning to him. Or I could use the online systems like DocuSign. Most of those are very accessible. There's usually a link that says for screen reader users. So if the file was properly scanned, you can read the PDF and sign with your initials by typing your initials or by typing your name. Now, there was one that I, I had to use for the insurance company, and that was not accessible. There wasn't any screen reader link, but there was an option for downloading the file. So I was able to download it and OCR it with Open Book or Kurzweil or whatever and, um, you know, read what I was signing and, and then I could um, sign. So that was really nice. I, all that paperwork signing, all of that fine print, I could read it. I could sign it. I didn't have to wait around for somebody to be around to help me. And that was really a very liberating thing. And when I was working with the lender, I also had to turn in a lot of stuff, a lot of income-related stuff. And so I would take in copies of my tax returns. When I do my taxes, I, I put everything in a folder, and I'm very organized in that way. And so that made it very easy to find things either myself, I, I write little notes in Braille on stuff, or, you know, with minimal help from somebody. So again, that was a, a big, scary, intimidating part of the process for me that is surprisingly easy and accessible. You mentioned that your future tenant, when she first saw you, thought you were going to be an income opportunity in terms of her helping you and perhaps, uh, <laughs> you know, earning some money that way. And so that was kind of looking at a blind person in a special way. I'm wondering if you've had, with your other interactions with some of the professionals, if you had any other interactions that there was an interesting aspect like that working with a blind person. Well, yes. I spoke to my real estate agent over the phone several times before we actually met. So when he met me, he was a little bit surprised. And um, I came in with my mom, and I think he thought he would just be able to talk to my mom. But my mom said, well, I'm going to go park the car. I'll be back in an hour. <laughs> <laughs> good for her. Oh, that was very good of your mom. <laughs> yes. It did take him two or three minutes to recover, but he recovered. And so... You know, we, I was able to explain to him that um, I needed stuff electronically. So, you know, I, I was able to problem solve with him because his first concern was, oh, so what do we do with all the forms you have to sign? And I said, well, just PDF them to me. And if you can't do that, um, I can scan them and we can blah, blah, blah. And I, I happened to have an OCR app on my phone. So I showed him how it would work and, and that helped him. And the only real thing that um, we had to negotiate about a little bit was he said, well, when I show you properties, is there somebody who can go with you, someone you trust? And and he was good. By that point, he said, you know, they're not going to decide for you, but it's somebody that's going to give you information you can trust that doesn't come from me. And so that's when I said my mom would do it. And and we were fine by that point. So that, that was a little bit of, a, you know, we had a little moment, but he was great after that. So in a related topic, one that I'm more sensitive to because I'm the fix-it person in the family and we walk into a hardware store together and if Pete doesn't have his cane with him, the salespeople always assume that he's the fix-it person. 
and they start talking to him. Have you gotten pushback as the homeowner being a woman? Yes. In fact, I was just telling my friend about this the other day. So I needed to call the electrician in and none of my friends had worked with a good electrician. So I just did the phone book thing and I picked somebody from the phone book. And he's a guy who's um, probably 60-ish. And he kept talking to me like the little woman and wondering where my dad was because my dad would understand these things. Oh, yeah. And it drives me crazy. Yes. And so I I kept saying, well, he's not here, (laughs) you know, and, um, you know, and I made a point. I'm so so passive aggressive. I made a point of pulling out my checkbook and going, you know, when you're done, I will write you a check. (laughs) (laughs) I do get a little bit of that. I think the electrician's been the biggest example. And so but mostly it's gone well. As a single blind woman, do you worry about safety? The house that I bought is not in the best neighborhood because, you know, I didn't have that much money, but it is a very cute house. But one important thing I decided to do early on was to install a home security system. And so I had to do some research. One thing I found out is that for most systems, you can buy a conventional keypad. With real push buttons on it. Yeah, with real push buttons on it. You can even actually buy them like through Amazon and stuff. So when I had my security system installed, I had them... um, do the touch panel by the front door, but I told them to put a keypad near the back door. Um, I also found out that, you know, a lot of security systems now work with smartphone apps. So I went on the Android list to find out what systems people were using and whether their app was accessible. And so um, I can actually arm and disarm the system without ever dealing with the control panel. So by doing a little research, you got something that uh, worked for you. Oh, totally. Yeah. Now for this week's final item, how you can find Anna's writings and how you can learn about doing home repair projects yourself, even if you can't see. Well, about four years ago in episode 1325, we did an entire episode on home repair and woodworking with little or no vision, in which we spoke with Gil Johnson, who's the author of the Vision Aware Guide to Home Repair. And he talked about how it's possible for blind people to use power tools safely and how you can do all sorts of projects that you might have thought were difficult. If you have specific questions for Anna, you can send an email to her at lot.of.yada at sbcglobal.net. That's L-O-T dot O-F dot Y-A-D-A at sbcglobal.net. And you can also reach her on Twitter at at Access Anna. And she spoke earlier in the program about her blog on the Android devices and also on knitting And those will all be in the show notes, as well as information on how to get her books at the National Braille Press. And those show notes can be found at www.eyesonsuccess.net.
That's it for show number 1744. Next week on Eyes on Success, we'll be talking about Be My Eyes. We'll speak with Hans-Jorgen Weiberg, founder of this useful app with which sighted volunteers describe to blind users what the camera on their smartphone is seeing. If you have any questions regarding something you've heard about on the show or you'd like to share an idea for a future show, send an email to hosts at eyesonsuccess.net or call us at 585-210-8094. You've been listening to Eyes on Success, hosted and produced by Nancy Goodman Torpy and Peter Torpy and distributed by WXXI Reach Out Radio. Browse the full archive of programs, find instructions for subscribing to the podcasts, and much more at www.tiesonsuccess.net. You can also find us on iTunes, follow us on Facebook and on Audioboom.com, at Eyes on Success, or Twitter at underscore Eyes on Success. We hope you will join us again next week for more information and updates on products for accessible living. Thanks for listening to Eyes on Success and have a nice day.